At Operation Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. And we are live for the second live show of the day, sitting here with my brother, Mike Rude. Mike, thanks for being here, man. Uh, thanks so much for having me here. And I, and I wish I would have uh, replied to the other times that you <laughs> asked, but I was on the go and don't... Uh, hey, everything in its own time, right? When it's supposed to happen, it does happen. Exactly. So it's perfect. On Saturday, we had a chance to sit down and meet each other face-to-face for the first time. and uh, doing the. So uh, let's tell the audience a bit about uh, what, what that video shoot was all about. So that was with uh, Julian Austin uh, doing a video shoot for his song. And um, uh, he brought in people from all over, right? Uh, Scott Casey. Um, all the names are uh, kind of escaping me. It's, right it's now, okay. But you know what it's I mean? Right. Uh, but it was like a large crowd, hundred I think 120 bikes at one point. That's awesome. Um, and, I, and just some people that I need, you know, people that... Uh, were important that I saw, say Jeff Black, yourself, right? Um, people that are helping others heal or people that are, you know, like I haven't seen Jeff Black since uh, quite a while now, right? And we were on tour together. We were, so like the Quilts of Valor. So I gave him a Quilt of Valor and, and your Quilt of Valor is on the table, right? Yeah. And how beautiful is that? So... Yeah, it's pretty special. Um, I'd imagine you've received a quilt, quilt of valor. Yes. Uh, yeah. About how long ago was that? Uh, I got one when I uh, finished it. My uh, did a canpraxis. Okay. The uh, equine therapy. What did you think of canpraxis? They're the they were the first light at the end of the tunnel okay. that I came across. Yeah. So that was your first uh, glimmer of hope. Yep. Completely right. There was I had nothing. And then that light came in when I was going to go, right? So tell me about a, uh, uh, the Canpraxis experience. Like, what was it and what was it like for you? Um, for phase one, you're, you and your spouse go and they kind of the veterans are in one group and the spouses are in another and then they come together here and there and you're learning how to work around horses and how th- things affect things, like pressure and release. And then phase two was uh, going out there, veterans going together, learning how to ride, learning different things, and then the spouses going out. And then on phase three, you actually go riding out by Cochrane and in the mountains, out to a cabin, staying in cabins, and riding horses for three days. Well, that's got to be fantastic. Did you find it was healing yourself? I found it gave me some of my life back because I was able to actually do things again prior to going there i sat staring out the window all day watching the uh the neighbor's dog go to the window at the same time as me because we heard a noise (laughs) and i look i'm looking outside the window and then i see the dog and right (laughs) we're the two always looking out the window what do you think it is about the equine therapy that uh, provided help and healing um the way they kind of, uh, well, working around the horses, right? Because the the horses, uh, they sense your um, 
your mood, I think. They sense so much to it. So you have to almost check in with yourself, right, when you're uh, going up to the horses, maybe. But it's... Uh, the, the one thing I got out of it was uh, pressure and release, right? So knowing how much pressure to put on in order to to accomplish the mission, right? Just by walking towards the horse, we'll say move the horse back a bit or, you know, different things. And then when you let go, then they stop or... So I, I that was with, say, for my ex. I didn't, you know, she was stuck doing everything and I was doing nothing. So then I started to engage to do stuff, to take stuff off of her plate to help or to give back, right? Because... She was doing it all, and I was doing nothing. Can you put your finger on how that translated to your life in general, like uh, as a takeaway a- after the camp practice? Like what, what was it that you learned that you were able to apply to your life? I think, well, just if you start to apply yourself, like you can get through it. You just got to find out how to get through it or how to uh, push yourself, right? Um, because if we say, oh, it doesn't feel good, I'm not going to try, or I'm not going to do it then we don't do it. Or, you know, I'm not going to drive town, uh, drive downtown Calgary because the traffic is bad. But maybe if I drove down at 8 o'clock at night, I could go downtown. Or, you know, at different times, just adjusting your own schedule to to accomplish the mission. So let's bring uh, the audience into um, where you're at and, and the Rude Awakening Tour. So... Uh, you and I both uh, suffer and been diagnosed with PTSD. But on top of that, uh, you're suffering with mefloquine poisoning, which yes. is like PTSD on steroids. So how would people understand, how would you describe what it's like to be poisoned by mefloquine? Like, how does that affect your life? <laughs> Everything, right? Probably the worst thing I have is uh, the inability to sleep almost. Right, like, uh, so I can easily drive for 24 hours straight, right? Um, it takes a lot for me to go to sleep, so I have to take a, take a baseball bat to the forehead to knock me out, kind of, right? To, to slow my mind down enough. So that's, yeah, definitely with the mind, right? That's what kind of prevents the sleeping. So, you know, a high... THC or something to slow my brain down. Um, stomach issues. I have GERDs, gastroesophageal reflux disorder. Um, so a lot of stomach issues. Uh, anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation. That's that's why I went on the road, right? Is um, Every time you have a problem, it's like, screw it. Take, take your life, right? Yeah. It's not worth it. It's like it's the solution that seems to come up, even though it's not logical, but it's 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 a feeling. Yeah, exactly. Not logical. Oh, the vacuum broke. Screw it. <laughs> you you just can't take it anymore. You know I mean? Fuck it. Yeah, yeah. It's it. All the little things really add up. Then, right? Well, but, it makes sense because little things aren't little for us, right? Because the as I um, I talk about the trauma cup. So a healthy person, their trauma cup is full of botier because. Life happens, right? Yep. Uh, everybody's been through something, and everybody's got a story. But uh, 
with PTSD, especially after a few tours for yourself, yep. you know, it's always hovering right around top. So you got to be so careful and just a, just a little thing for anybody else. Like if your trauma cup's only at one third full, a, a little thing doesn't disturb it. Yeah. And you're not going to notice it so and much. You're not, others, even, you're not right? even going to notice it. But if you're hovering right at the top with like a meniscus at the top, just a little tap and it spills over. But it was just a little thing. Why are you making such a big thing? Well, there was no room for that little thing. Yeah, it was, it exactly. was already full. So it's little for you. But it's enough to make me spill over. And that spill over is the anger, the depression, the uh, suicidal ideations. That, rage. Yep. that is the spillover, right? And that's, that's part of where the self-shaming comes in from. It's like, what the fuck's my problem? What, why am I making such a big deal over such a little thing? Because it's not a little thing. Yeah. Because there was no room for that little thing. And that's why. So therefore, it wasn't little. It wasn't little because it's yeah. relevant. Because it, you know... The cup over, over, over spilt, and then everybody sees it. Right, that's when you start seeing the actions of the others. Right, mm-hmm. when when the cup is almost full, yep. and then things spill over because it just takes a drop right. for us. For that's everybody when, else, it takes two thirds of a cup, but it yeah. just takes a drop for us. That's when they go. That's when people start showing up on the radar when you see them spilling over, but you don't see them when they're a quarter way up. Right. No. Or if they're three quarters of the way up, you know, and there's a fair bit of, uh, and they don't see it on themselves, right? You don't realize that you're up here, that you're at a a seven or an eight, seven or eight out of 10 all the damn time. You don't have the self-awareness to know that that's where you're at. That's where therapy comes in and peer support. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. The suicidal ideations, what do people misunderstand about that? Like for me, um, it just comes over you, right? Just like that. Yeah. Comes, floods over you and then it's like, I don't want to be here no more, right? Or um, like it just happens like that. Right, the thought. One time, I decided I was going down to the Royal Newflank Constabulary and talk to them about why they have a problem with my dog. <laughs> this is what I thought, right? But anyways, so I walked down the... I, I put the vest under my arm, under my jacket, so my ex wouldn't see it. So we walked away so she didn't know I was up to something. And then I walked down to the RNC, put the vest on, and we went in. And then I started to complain about my dog or whatever. And then I, then it's, it was just like, okay, I think you sound crazy now. You might want to stop and leave, right? But when I was coming down, I looked at a, a power, power line pole, right? A wooden pole. And I thought, I know what I could do. I could get my crampons, right, from mountain climbing, get them, grab a rope, shimmy up the shimmy up the power line pole and then hang myself there in front of the RNC and say there, right? You guys are causing me this. Here you go. It's exactly uh, the same idea is why in the States and it's happened here too. There's people taking their life in front of the parliament buildings or legislature or uh, in the States, you see it in the parking lot of uh, the VA hospitals. Yep. 
you because know, they're trying to make a point. They're right? trying. They're they're making their final point. It's like I was asking you for fucking help. Yeah. And you spat in my face. Yeah. And uh, the system, well, I I think is pretty flawed, right? Um. So when I, like, I just went, drove down to try to get into a ketamine. Well, I, I was heading east, and then I, when everything was locking down again, right? So Nova Scotia said they were closing the border completely, um, and Ontario started their two-week thing. Then once I got myself to Toronto, I tried to get into a ketamine treatment, and once I was able to, but because when I was sitting at home, I said, I'm not going to make it here, right? I have to get going, start driving, because I'm not going to survive the lockdown sitting in here, guaranteed. You so have to I keep left. moving. So then I left. Yeah. Right? Yeah, keep moving. And, uh, but trying to get, so then I got there, like I couldn't pay my truck payment, my bike payment, and I was uh, trying to work on that. So so I, I wrote to VAC, I'm here I just got approved for ketamine treatment with uh, Blue Cross and and that, right? And uh, can I get my, could you give me my meal money, right, for being here? Just for the meals, and then I can pay my bills, right? But uh, <laughs> I wrote to them and then said, can you give me, could you get my, uh, could I get my case manager's number? They replied 50 minutes later and said, here's the number, or here's the helpline, here's the help number blah, 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 other stuff. Then I wrote three days later and said, can you please give me the number, right? And could you, or have her call me. Uh, two weeks later, or then a reply to that one was some other info, some other numbers. And then like a month after I sent that message on my VAC account, one month after I'm saying I have financial difficulty, I got all these problems, <laughs> can you help me? They say, um, or I, I finally call her a month later, and she goes, oh, geez, I, we haven't heard from you in a long time. And I'm like, I've been reaching out at the end. I said, um, uh, my depression, my anxiety, and my insomnia is out of control. I'm here for the ketamine. I need help. And they never even, they never called me. They never gave me her number. And until later, they gave a, a, like a generic number to call. And then she's being surprised that I called, right? Right when you're in distress, right? So then, then she says, okay, well, it's better to do the emergency fund, right? So I'm in Toronto, sleeping on a cot, right at, uh, with Canaconnect, because they're, Help me out there. And uh, she's like, yeah, can you, you need to uh, print off your bank statements, upload it onto your VAC account and some other stuff. And I'm like, on my phone? Like, I know I'm in an office, but how am I going to get my stuff from my phone to the printer, to the scanner, to my VAC account, right? I don't have a scanner with me. Yes, they have stuff at the office, right? But so then, okay, yeah, I can try to that. And then I just trying to solve it. Then uh, so I told my friend the problem I had. Then they helped me, right? Vax, 
right? Not much of a help. Have you ever used a service officer at the Legion or a service officer from any other organization? Oh, yeah, the, that, that's the that's the the ticket, I think, right? To see your service officer, but uh, or to to get one. But I mean, what's the point of having a case manager if they're not helping you? Well, the thing is, the the case managers like they're they're all wildly overworked and undertrained and underpaid. Oh no, I, yeah. you know, and um, the which is what the gap is because when you need help, you don't need it in a month. You need it yesterday, and uh, but they do not have the ability to be that Johnny on the spot. The next best thing is uh, like the poppy fund at the Legion, uh, which yeah. uh, when I started this whole thing and I was in a bad bad way. Um, I, I was hoping for a $500 loan from, from the Legion just to, just to get me out of Hawk. And, uh, they cut a, a much larger check for me, uh, when, when they understood the situation I was in and it, and it was a gift and I'm like, holy shit, thank you. But they were able to be Johnny on the spot. And, uh, I mean, the Legion has a lot of pros and cons, you know, they're, they're, they got a lot of, um, uh, a long way to go to to kind of keep up with the times, but they're there. But the and the service officers are the key to help. They really are. Yeah, you know uh, they are they are angels. Those those service officers who uh, do it for very little money. Um, but it's unfortunate. Uh, an example of how our system is broken, Mike, is we need a service officer for the case manager. You, you know because it's just overwhelming. Because yeah. uh, what the case manager is supposed to do is look after us and help us and, and, and go through the paperwork and understand that we're easily overwhelmed by the paperwork yeah. and make it easy for us. And, but they can't, they don't have the capacity for it. Yeah. And it, well, especially for what I've noticed anyways, for people with mefloquine, right? I, I can't even fill out a one page piece of paper, right? Even if it was to, you know, even if it was worth $30,000, you know, that one piece of paper can't can be too much, right? And that's what they don't understand. And yeah. that's what our spouses, our friends, our um, uh, all the caregivers have to understand is that we are easily overwhelmed by that shit. Um, Mefloquine, PTSD, whatever. Like if you can't do it, you can't do it. I am out of date with my taxes by about eight years. Yeah, <laughs> you know, um, I was uh, up to date up last year. Yeah, not this year. but uh it's it's hard for people to understand and have empathy for that sense of overwhelm but that's where we need help is that administrative stuff it's just too damn much and i don't know why but it but it's so common with us and really the only way to to get help then is to say like with the lawsuit right they they got people to help and talk people through the paperwork, right? Um, uh, trying to think of um, other examples. Or like even say, so I, I can't, uh, because I can't do paperwork, I wanted to help my dad uh, get a, a claim pension from the Legion, but I don't have the capability even to help myself. So I had told my sister to tell, to go and get a service officer and my dad got his claim, right? Because they were able to do it, right? At least, right? Push a uh, point in the right direction and yeah. go from there. So on the Rude Awakening Tour, uh, when you started it, it's partially just because you got to keep moving, just to keep sane. 
Yeah. Well, well, like, do you have sort of a mission and a vision for the Root Awakening tour? Like, what what is it for you? So it really kind of started. Uh, so, say April eighth, I left Newfoundland with a bag of dog food and a suitcase. I didn't have a reservation for the ferry, which requires forty eight hours notice. I just got my truck and drove to the ferry. When uh, driving there, I thought, okay, if they don't let me on board, I'll turn around, I'll drive back to the airport and get on a plane. Um, there was a, there was going to be a, a town hall meeting in Kingston. So uh, John Dow had told me uh, uh, they're looking at a town hall meeting sometime middle of April or so. So on the 8th of April when I left, and then I, they, they took me on the ferry. So I got on the ferry halfway across. I'm talking to John Dow. This is the 8th of April, and he said, uh, yeah, the uh, town hall's on the 27th of April. And I'm like, I think I left a little early. <laughs> because I, I, you know, at that time, I was like, it could, I, I'm not sure how long it'll take me because I don't know how capable I am because I hadn't driven by myself anywhere for more than 15 minutes. So after going to the first town hall meeting, I decided, uh, or after seeing the effect on people, right, like for a lady to get up and say she had vertigo for I think it was, I'm going to get that wrong now, but three plus months, right, three months of not being able to get out of bed because the room is spinning. Can you imagine that? Um, To hear, you know, to see so many people affected by it. So then I decided I can't I can't sit still. I have to go tell everybody, make sure they look at the symptoms and if they have them to get on the lawsuit. And and also because well most importantly is because I suffer from suicidal ideation. I've tried twice. Um you know, many more times in my head. Right. Yeah. But um, if people don't realize what they have, right, if they're being treated for PTSD, but it's really the mefloquine poisoning, the, the symptoms of quinism, then they're treating the wrong thing and the treatment is different. Right. So if you're treating PTSD, but it's uh, mefloquine poisoning, then you're still at risk of suicide. Well, I would suggest that it's always going to or almost always going to be both. Or they'll always be at play, I'm sure, right? Um, So even for myself, obviously, I'm pretty sure I, well, I I would have PTSD, but I I don't see it as much because I I don't don't have the flashbacks so much. I'm not a flashback guy either. Yeah. You know, but uh, the, and that really is the challenge is that the symptoms look so similar between people. Oh, yeah, that's completely the the problem right you know. and in the treatment right so uh, tell me a bit about uh, mefloquine treatment like what is out there what does it even look like and is it effective there's not really there's nothing to reverse the effects right now i believe from what uh, dr nevin said the other just as an interesting point is that dr nevin would refer to the people that have that went to somalia because that was the first i think uh or from the drug trial, those people from that time frame are like the canaries in the coal mine for, okay, 
that's a symptom. Or, you know, things will start to come up, and then we can look at those people and see what might be down the road for others that took it, like, later. So it's kind of different that way, knowing, you know, I'm one of the ones that'll we're going to find the different symptoms or what what's more of an issue. So a big part of your tour is mefficon awareness then. Yeah, yeah. Now, some of the stops you must have learned so much because you've been coast to coast to coast um, uh, driving around. Now, are, are you uh, trying to, like, who? how do you decide who to hook up with and who to visit? Like, what sort of uh, places have you been to? It, it seems to be anybody that's in the world of um, veteran advocacy or veteran help uh, you seem to be visiting. Yeah. Um, there's no rhyme or reason somewhat sometimes, right? Yeah. Because because um, the decisions can come are fairly difficult at times, right? But so I always, um, if it feels right, if it's uh, like I'll be thinking, and then when it just kind of feels right, then then I'm up. That's where I'm going, or it'll happen right away. Yeah. Right. Say like when we started talking on Saturday, mm-hmm. it was like right away. This is what we're doing. Right. Yeah. Easy peasy. Yeah. Straightforward. Um, you spent some time at uh, the Veterans Association Food Bank. Yeah. Yeah. I've uh, so they kind of came around at a good time for me because when COVID first hit, then well, I was involved. I went to a couple of their events, but then um, when COVID hit, and I'm sitting in the basement at my sister's, you know. Her youngest son just moved out and her brother moved in, right? Score for her, right? But um, it was very hard, like, that first lockdown was 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 very, very difficult, right? So then the first opportunity to be able to get out and do something, I went, and it was the uh, Veterans Association Food Bank for uh, food deliveries. So, like, I delivered a, a food delivery to a Korean war vet on the south uh, west side of Calgary, right? I mean, things like that. So, they've uh, they've they've helped me out personally, right? Uh, breakdown in Ontario with my truck. Um, uh, the food hampers, right? I've taken food hampers to a family in Manitoba. Uh, people in uh, Different people in BC uh, from the from the Calgary Food Bank. Yeah, wow. So so the family in Winnipeg. I've probably done three runs to them, bringing them uh, food hampers. That's a twelve hour, thirteen hour drive uh, to to bring food. Yeah. So, uh, but because they're a large they're a large family of eight. Yeah. Right. So um, so like in January, I did a delivery to them slept in the, in my truck on the side of the road in a blizzard waiting just because I was tired and then drove on because I had to try to arrive at his house during the day. So I have to uh, alter my driving plans. It's unbelievable that not only is there a veteran food bank, but there's two in Calgary and uh, Veterans Association Food Bank just opened one in Edmonton. And those are the only ones in the entire country. 
uh, what people don't understand is the reason that there's a specific food bank. It's a couple of fold. Uh, one, uh, when you're suffering from PTSD or mafficon poisoning, your ability to earn an income is significantly reduced quite often. I mean, there are high functioners um, who tend to be miserable despite the money, but uh, they, they tend, they, they're able to, to make the dough anyway. Yeah. Um, but it's very often there's a financial impact. That's why in the States, roughly one out of five homeless people are military veterans, especially army veterans that have been deployed. Yeah. And um, the, just the birth of that food bank is, and what they've accomplished and what they're doing is just incredible. Um, it's just unfortunate that it's so rare because the only ones are in Alberta and there's two of them in Calgary. And it's a long ways to deliver uh, food hampers to Winnipeg or to try to go to Halifax, right? Halifax has a need. Um, those were other ones that were popping up saying that they needed help as well, right? Um, in reality, they could probably pop up in another 10 cities, right? And, and still not be reaching everybody. No, that's for sure. And uh, at least the military base cities, you know, I mean, yeah. Emmett, Edmonton's got one now, which which is wonderful. Uh, but um, uh, Fredericton, you know, or yeah. Mukto. Uh, uh, Navy bases, Esquimalt, uh, yeah. you know, Halifax. So they could all use it, I would say. What are some of the other places that, um, like veterans organizations that you've um, become aware of because of the Rude Awakening Tour? Um, Vets Canada, right? So they're, I'm not familiar with them. So Vets Canada is actually helping the vets get off the street. And oh, then, wow. And then people say, well, you know, is there homeless veterans? <laughs> uh, yes, there is, right? Even other veterans will say, well, I, you know, I don't think so, but go to Edmonton. Vets Canada there, or Vets, they're all over the country, and they help with assistance for for veterans that are in need. And uh, so they in Edmonton, they have an apartment building, style building. I think it's maybe 12 or 15 units, and it's all veterans that have gotten off the street, right? And it's a good start to get off the street. Can you imagine, right, actually having a place where you can be out of the rain, right, to be able to sleep indoors, to have security, if you would, right? So, yeah, and then Vets Canada doesn't always get the funding they require, right? People, uh, earlier in the pandemic, people were pointing or sending people in their direction, but yet the government of Canada wasn't helping them. It might not be fair to ask because you might not know, but do you know if there's a relationship between the Veterans Association Food Bank and Vets Canada? Um, well, I'd say there's kind of a relationship because, uh, say Canada day last year, I came down to Calgary, picked up a trailer load of food hampers. So, uh, for the 12, I think I had 12 or 15 food hampers. Each hamper is three boxes. And I went to the, uh, Vets Canada apartment building and gave every, every, gave every, uh, tenant there, um, a food hamper. And then I delivered a few around the city. For the listeners, I know it's a bit confusing, but uh, so the two food banks are not associated with each other. They don't really work together, but there's the Veterans Food Bank, and I do not have any familiarization with them, but, uh, you know, God bless them. Yeah. And then there's the Veterans Association Food Bank, which is yeah. Marie Blackburn. 
Yes. And um, uh, I still have to have Marie on the show. She's been quite shy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But I got to get her on here. And um, uh, Greg Gerard and uh, uh, Bruce Given working with the one down below uh, down or up in Edmonton along with uh, uh, John, I think. And uh, like, and there's some amazing people working at those food banks, right? Like uh, veterans that are helping other veterans, right? So uh, yeah, it's uh, pretty, pretty fantastic to see, right? Any other organizations that uh, you've been discovering? Um, so just recently, I was approached by Veterans Elite Canine. Oh, yes. Okay. So I'm kind of now part of that organization. Nice. A fundraiser. Yeah. So, uh, and that's been, uh, that's flying along, I think, right in the probably month and a half that we've been uh, working together, you know, uh, Talking to Baden Canine, have Baden Canine on board. Uh, we went to Big Country Raw, or we didn't. Uh, Hero Dog Treats, right? We went to them. Veteran owned, also the Veteran same guys owned, that have as uh, Arrowhead Coffee. Arrowhead Coffee, which we're drinking right now. Very coffee we're drinking. It is fantastic coffee. <laughs> yeah. So, which is funny because uh, when I initially started my drive, I, I wrapped my truck with different veteran logos and some companies that have helped me so none of them are sponsors they were uh it was just to pay it forward but so i had put arrow or sorry hero dog treats on my truck and then i also had put an arrowhead coffee company on my truck when i was meeting with arrow uh hero dog treats i then found out they had bought an arrowhead coffee company so then i said and you're on my truck too. <laughs> so, you know. I hope they're giving you a steady supply of dog treats for Spark. Yeah, so, well, they're, they're going to give a package for each service dog that, we, that we're able to put out, right? So Veterans Elite Canine is more of a fundraising association or more of a fundraising thing to, to then get the dog, a fully trained service dog to the veteran, Right. Because these other programs out there, they're not working, right? I don't think. Uh, Train your own dog? Sorry, don't think that works well, right? right. Because only 20% of those dogs will ever pass. And you're taking a person that has a disability and trying to get them to train their own, right? When, say, not every day is a good day, right? (laughs) That's right. Right? We, We know that. So now, and if you have a family, so you're going to spend your good days trying to train your dog, right? What about your family? What about family time? What about, uh, you know, you know, all the other things that you might do, right? So, and then, you know, so you might be trying to train them when you're activated, right? When you're triggered and you're still pushing forward with the training and, uh, I, I don't think it's... Uh, no, you can't it, do it because the, the frustration level is over the top and you just don't have the patience and you just can't do it. Yeah, and but the only reason it's even an option is because people don't have the money to buy a service dog, right? Yeah. They're too much money. What do they cost? Uh, 35000 roughly. Because of the level of training, it's a, there's a lot. 
the level of training. Also, you got to bring people in, uh, train with them for a bit, uh, and and then send them out. Maybe bring them back again, do some refresher training and stuff. Um, you know, and then you have you know people that get a dog, and then a month later they don't want it or it doesn't work because their spouse might be allergic or something, right? Um, then that service dog went to then it's going to go back into the mix or whatever, right? So people got to, not only for that, but people have to be, uh, are you really going to use the dog, right? You know what I mean? Are you really, and use it, right? If it's a if it's a tool, then always take, take your tool with you, right? Yeah. So like Spark is always with me, right? We've driven 100 and say 90,000 kilometers around the country. That's in the incredible. Last two years. So tell me about uh, life with a service dog. Um, how does the service dog help you? What does it mean to you in your life? Um, so for the last two years that I've we've been traveling, and she's been with me 100, almost 100% of the time, maybe at the most a half an hour apart. Uh, one time we, uh, she ate some uh, grass, ears or whatever the the sharp sharp barbs or whatever okay up in uh dawson city so he spent the half the night walking around <laughs> trying to get her to trying to get the having her eat bread trying to get rid of the things but i had to drop her off at the uh at the vet for them to do the thing and it was like <laughs> the worst time waiting ever right because she's always with me i'm always talking to her right uh yeah it it's amazing to have them with you, right? So is just the presence of the service dog, it provides you comfort from anxiety? Is that fair? Yeah, uh, I'd say for that. Um, and one is I'm never alone, right? Mm. Never alone, right? So, you, so that whole feeling, right, is not there. Or, you know, because she's always with me. I, and that was one of the first things I said when I, there'll be no more looking out the window, right? Sitting and just staring out the window, right? Waiting for what? I don't know. Right. That's being in your head as opposed to being grounded in the moment. So what I'm hearing is that the dog helps you stay in the moment and be grounded and, um, uh, and stay out of your head because that's, that's a bad place to hang out. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, they're fairly active dogs, um, so it gets you outside, right? So when I first got her, I started walking for her, right? 15 minutes for her. Now I'm, like, walking two hours a day when we're home in Victoria, and that's mostly for me. Yeah. Right? Uh, I don't, you know, not just for me, it's for her, but, I mean, really... It, it's doing so much for me, right? So it's almost changed in the way I, say, deal with things sometimes now, right? Um, if I get activated, right, if I get triggered, I try to walk it out, right? And, you know, um, I'll walk and walk and walk or, you know, going fast until it's like I kind of burn myself out and then I, you know, my my mind's not racing as much. Yeah. I've, 
So, I mean, physical fitness is so much for uh, to help with stress, right? So, Take a breath, Mike. Yeah. Take a breath, buddy. Come on, with me. Take a deep one. Come on. Okay. Yeah. How how would you describe uh, uh, the difference of having a dog as a pet and a companion, and having it as a service dog? Like, what's the difference? Maybe if you have a pet, you're chasing your pet around, trying to get it back. Uh, with Spark, it's more like uh, I don't even have to pay attention. I I can just go about my own thing, and she'll always be there. Right? I could. I don't have to talk to her. I don't have to do anything. I can just move and do my own thing, and she'll be right there. And she's right. paying attention. Yeah, and she's watching. Uh, there was a time we were at the Legion in uh, Vancouver there for a friend of mine's uh, Depart with Dignity, uh, Paul Springer, and uh, talking with another guy, and I had put her in the, had her set down in the corner, so she was kind of out of the way. I was talking in a crowd kind of, or, you know, with one of the guys there. And I started to get uh, emotional because we were talking about a, a friend that had died in Afghanistan. So then Spark come come from the corner and came over then, right? Because they pick up so much, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, yeah, just uh, can't explain that, but. I think you explained it just fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Uh, tell me about your shirt, Adopt a Vet. So that's uh, a guy named Brad out of, uh, he's down in Windsor. So, and it's it's to remember them both in life and in death or whatever, to, uh, to remember veterans and stuff. And I, you know what, I absolutely love the shirt. The, the message is bright and bold. And uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I have three or four of his shirts, a sweater, <laughs> right? Uh, and uh, and other companies too. I love their uh, try to wear veteran apparel yeah. as opposed to stuff. <laughs> yeah, you stayed uh, at Hogan, Alberta last night. Yeah, yeah, I was out there. What was that like? Uh, it was okay. I, it was really. I had a really hard time finding it. Um, so. I had a little bit of a meltdown getting there. So yeah. my, uh, my, uh, few might be skewed, right? <laughs> but, or I'm not that, but just trying to find it. Right. So yeah, that can be frustrating. You know, I should know better. Right. Because I've, the only way I can travel is by GPS, right? I, I have to have a, a, you know, I have to be able to put in a physical address for the GPS to take me because I can't take directions because the minute I miss my first one or I'm trying to remember, then it you start to spin. And then as you start to spin, a door closes, another door closes. Then you're, then you have one door left, right? And your options with that door are limited even more, right? So you're, you're, you're like a you're in the room with a crayon and a piece of paper, right? That's that's the the level you're at now, right? So 
you have to be prepared to have something there to get by it, right? Like um, when the emergency comes up, right? When, you, when you're in the moment and you only have that one door open, then you got you to gotta have a way out, right? So, um, right, like have multiple uh, GPSs, right? Use Google, use Waze, use um, your truck one, right? So I use the three of them, Google, Waze, truck. Waze works really well for uh, traffic in cities, right? So um, that one can be very effective. And then, like I said, uh, you know, make sure you have comms, right? Make sure yourself you're going to be in a cell phone area or whatever, right? Um, I had a flat tire about 40 kilometers from Dawson City at the end of the Dempster Highway when I was coming back from Anuvik. And uh, I had the day before, I had just helped somebody uh, fix their flat tire. I took my jack out because their vehicle slid off the jack and we had to use both to kind of get it back on. So I had a flat tire. I'm like, oh, no big deal. I'll just pull up my jack and uh, we'll, we'll all be done and I'll be on my way. Well, I had put new rims on my truck because I got the wrap and I couldn't put these old winter rims on. So I put new rims on, of which the lug nut or the, uh, the tire iron did not fit the lug nuts. Okay. That was a meltdown at about 7 in the morning, right, in uh, – Dawson City, or outside of Dawson City, and then, uh, so I I sat there for, I think, five hours, I was cleaning my truck, trying to do stuff to kind of preoccupy myself while I'm waiting for people to come by, Uh, a bus line came by from uh, some cruise ships, right, so they, I I broke down at a a tourist stop, so the uh, bus came in, with the tourists and then I asked the bus guy and he's like well I can I got a satellite phone I could call my office but that's in Skagway Alaska (laughs) so I said well could you call there and have them call Dawson City and send a cab out or a a tow truck out and I think that was tried an hour or two later I talked to some uh, somebody else had driven by and asked her to send a message no truck. I had given up then, and we were going to go for a walk and a smoke. And we just started to walk, and then it was like Spark didn't want to go, so we turned around, we went back to the truck, and as we walked back to the truck, uh, a motorhome towing a car, I think they were from New Brunswick, touring the country, trying to find a place where they wanted to live. He had a uh, socket set, and we changed my uh, changed my tire, and I was on the road, and I was picking up uh, Shane from Canna Connect. He was going to drive in. He was flying. What's, what's Canna Connect? So Canna Connect is one of the, like a medical clinic that helps uh, veterans get in touch with, uh, to get medicinal cannabis. Okay. So they're, they're the ones that gave me spark. So they gave me a life support system four years ago. And uh, so anyways, he was going to fly up to Whitehorse and then drive back to Edmonton with me straight 20 hours so I could go to the conservative barbecue the next day in Sherwood Park. (laughs) So I managed to drive and get to the airport five minutes before he landed. 
right? Because I sat on the side of the road, all this. And picked him up at the airport, went Canadian Tire, dropped the truck off to get the tire fixed, went and had supper, and then we drove to uh, Whitehorse. <laughs> right, so... Uh- uh, what's your, um, and there's a reason I'm asking, uh, what was your first posting as a Patricia? I was to here in Calgary. Okay, so you started in the 1st Battalion. Yeah. Were, you, were you ever in the 3rd Battalion? Yeah, so I, uh, when I got in the Army, I came to the 1st Battalion, and then in, in 90, I was posted to the Canadian Airborne Regiment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was there for five years until we were disbanded. And uh, so at the time of disbandment, they posted each of the companies, uh, say like two commando, which was the PBCLI guys, they posted us to Edmonton. Uh, at the time, uh, the Canadian Parachute Center was still here in Edmonton, was still in Edmonton. So uh, we were posted there, and we were just a parachute company, PBCLI parachute company for about six or eight months. And I think in like, March or April of 96, they stood up the 3rd Battalion again because it had become a 10% reg force, 90% reserve. Yeah. And then they brought them all back. So then I ended up at the 3rd, retired there in 2010 to go join uh, the Canadian Rangers and be a Canadian Ranger instructor in Newfoundland and Labrador for... uh, I instructed for four I years. I like their new rifles. They're pretty, pretty yeah, nice. Pretty sweet. Better yeah. than the, well, there's nothing, actually, you know what? There's nothing wrong with the old Lee Enfield 303s. No. There's not a damn thing wrong with them, except they're old. Yeah. But uh, those new uh, Seikos they got, right? Yeah. Uh, Seiko 308s. Yeah, they're uh, nice nice rifles, right, for for the guys there? Of course, the Army overpaid by about three times what they're worth, but uh, <laughs> that, that's procurement is, for you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so then I when I, f- I finished with them in like, well, like 2014, I went on reserve force compensation. So means that I couldn't work no more. So then I, I was paid for two years while I went to therapy, went to whatever. And then in June of 2016, I was released. And uh, right, didn't, uh, when we get out, I think we lose a sense of purpose. Yeah, absolutely. Focus, right? And that's, we got to find our way back to that. Right. It's huge. I talk about that a lot, Mike. It's um, like the show, people say, hey, oh, you're doing such a, a good thing for, for our community. I'm like, well, yeah, I guess, but it, this is for me. You know, uh, yeah. it, it's self-serving because it, I need that sense of purpose to the idea that I'm giving back somehow. And I see that in, in our the veteran community again and again and again, because how do you re replace a deployment? You know, that, that being part of the big green machine um, with all the big multi-million dollar toys, it, it kind of reminds me of that, uh, the Rambo rant. I was in charge of million dollar equipment. Now can't even hold a job pumping gas, you know, yeah. but it's true but, that it, it's, that is what it's like. Yeah. So like say to do, Give you an example, right? We were in uh, Kandahar City. The governor of Afghanistan was flying in, and they they had asked me a question. You know, like, do you think they should go this way or that way? And I said, oh, you should go that way. And and you know, they did. They went that way, or you know, we took uh, the Minister of National Defense for the UK out on a, on a patrol around Kandahar City. 
you're able to do that and now i you know i can barely look after myself yeah there at times right there's places where i i can't right um and even now whatever i i my sister colleen i have her kind of down as my caregiver right but so that's my home address because that's where she is and then all my mail goes there and that uh helps that way like i live with my brother in victoria but it's just right it's uh not sure where i went went with that one but no uh that's something that uh people don't understand like we go from a sense of huge responsibility even as a private corporal right i got out as a corporal but um uh, but it, uh, what rank were you when you got out? Ah, uh, sergeant. Okay, so. Uh, Probably should have been busted, but that's fine. For, yeah. Did you have the Velcro chevron? I'm a, I'm a surgeon. I'm a master corporal. I'm a surgeon again. I'm a master no, corporal. No, I would have went from sergeant to corporal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I was close to that point. Yeah. One time. Well, we, we all know those guys with the Velcro chevron. They're, yeah, they're, they've been promoted three times. Right? <laughs> yeah. To the same rank. <laughs> to the same rank. That's right. Depends what type of shit they're in that week. Yep. But that's, 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 and they're usually the better ones too. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Mostly, right? Their leadership is a lot, you know. The, well, they're not looking after their career. They're looking after the troops and, yep. you know, and uh, that's why the, uh, they got the Velcro chevron. Yeah. On yeah, the bottom. Sure. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the going from a place of huge responsibility to having trouble looking after yourself is a hell of a kick in the nuts. And uh, I think that's a big contributor to the suicide rate, uh, to depression, to all of that, you know, because uh, you go from, hey, I'm feeling pretty good about myself because look at all these things that I can do. You know, I can fire all these different weapons. I can lob bombs into that general direction and, and, and hit a target by yeah. lobbing a bomb with my mortar. You can do all these things. And, uh, and I was trusted with uh, a, a rifle or a machine gun uh, and thousands of rounds and rocket launchers and grenades I was, and, and tanks. And mm-hmm. I was trusted with all this lethal equipment. And, uh, and it was in good hands. And I did take a good, you know, uh, good care of all this stuff or I took care of this tank or this armored personnel carrier. And now you're in civilian life going, so what are you qualified to do? Yeah. What, are we, what am I qualified to do now? Oh, that's, what, that's the question, right? Yeah. That, 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 yeah uh, and it's close like, with and destroy the enemy? <laughs> yeah. No, that's not what we're looking for, right? Damn it. But I'm yeah. good at that. Uh, yeah. Um, and just to even to say that, one time I was told by my ex to, you can ride... You ride in the back, you can't be trusted to drive. And I sat in the back seat, right? The whole way, going to Goose Bay, right? Six, eight hours. A, a guy that went from, you know, going out the gate in Afghanistan, and now I'm told to sit in the back seat because I can't be trusted, right? My 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 whole... My whole... Um, it was like I was incompetent completely, right? So part of the drive even was to prove that person wrong, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah? See that? I've driven 200,000 kilometers across the country, right? I've been to 
Taktiaktak, Anuvik, uh, you know, every province in and Canada. You, you say during COVID, even you say it's to prove the other person uh, wrong, and, right? and to well, I, I would I would suggest that it's more to prove to yourself that, that I can do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, that was wrong the way I said it. Yeah. Oh no, not no, wrong, no, no, not no, wrong. But I, I think yeah, not wrong to, to say it that way. But I mean because. So, so all I want to do now, right, is to be able to do things. If you do it yourself, then you can't blame anybody. Mm. And I don't want to blame anybody then, right? So it's to to work on myself so that I can accomplish these things, right? Do you have a Patreon account or anything for people to support you on your tour? I uh, kind of we'll t- had a couple things on the go, but... Uh, we'll talk about it after really, that. Uh, you know, see if we can't get you sorted out. I got a couple ideas for you. Yeah, but um, Mike, I think we're about there. Where's uh, uh, what's your next stop after day? You're going to BC. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm going to go visit uh, um, a member, uh, a member, family of the fallen. Yeah, Roger that. And uh, a few other things, and then head back to, head back home to BC on uh, probably tomorrow. All right. So. But uh, thanks for what you're doing. Like, uh, I love the fact that it's all about uh, how to get help or how things that are things that are going to help us or or make us better or improve us so that we can accomplish things, right? And uh, and I love Spotify, right? Because there's so many things. See, you get the music, you get the personal music. So, like, I got songs by the Trues. Uh, singing soldiers, uh, Terry Kelly, you know, Terry can, Kelly's awesome. Yeah. And, and some beautiful songs and then your podcast, right? I, I, I don't want to waste my time with stuff that doesn't add to my life. Right. I'm going to write down Terry Kelly. I want to get him on the show now. And uh, another guy you should get on is a guy, uh, Jason call. So he has an album called stranger. And he, uh, his CD, it's a dedication to the 158, right? To the, to the soldiers that we lost in Afghanistan. And it's, uh, song seven and nine, right? Just, uh, we'll get you a CD sent to you so you can listen to it. There you go. That sounds good to me, brother. Well, Mike, thanks for all that uh, you're doing to raise awareness for veterans issues in general and specifically Mafloquin, which I, I think is getting more and more awareness. Um, what our government has knowingly done to us, you know, uh, on our tour, uh, fairly famous, we were exposed to the red dirt, right? Yes, to the bauxite. Yeah, the bauxite. And um, all of that swept under the carpet. Medical docs ripped out of her files and this same kind of theme happens again and again and again and again, where we are used and abused by our uh, government, uh, used as guinea pigs for... Um, well, for the drug trial. For the drug trial. There trials. was a drug trial in Somalia that I was a part of, and they, yeah. they, never, they never even so much as told us. Yeah. Just made us do it, right? Well, it's why I'm a little bit uh, cautious about uh, the COVID jabs. You know, I've already been through this. You've been through this. We've already been used as an experiment uh, on a couple of different occasions, and it didn't work out very well. No. My uh, <laughs> my life is 
dealing with all the side effects from from 1992. Yeah, exactly. So my quality of life is not there because of that drug trial. And the government told you it was safe. And that's the thing, right? That's the thing. So the other thing is, right, yes, the military gave me the mefloquine, right? So they're at fault for the drug trial. And you didn't have a choice. You were told to take it. Told to take it. Whether you had side effects or not, people were kept on it. Yeah. But so I so I blame the army for 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 taking the mefloquine. I don't blame an individual. The only individual I might blame is say the CDS at that time, or not even him. Probably more the Surgeon General. But as as opposed to the people that it's, gave it to it's, me, it's the big green it's, machine. There's it's no not point, the individuals. Right? There's no point. Like no, the, it's the it's the machine, not the individuals. Yeah. So it's they're responsible. But now. So I took mefloquine in 1992, and then I took it again in 2005. But, but it is the um, it is the obligation of our politicians today to do their best to make it right. I mean, yeah. it'll never be right. Yeah. What I was ex- uh, exposed to, what you were exposed to, it'll never be fucking right. No. You know, like that you can't make that right. But uh, it is it is their obligation to regardless of any statute of limitations, to make it right yeah, as and, best as they can. And I think, so I blame the Army for the first time, but the second time I took it in 2005 going to Afghanistan, I blame Health, Health Canada. Right? Yeah. Because Health Canada allowed that drug to be passed. They've allowed it to stay out there. And before I left Newfoundland, I went to the pharmacy and asked if you could get mefloquine. They said, no, we don't have it, but we can get it for you. And it's like, uh, no, I don't want it, right? So where's the accountability then, right? Yeah. So the Army could screw up a drug trial and Health Canada would still pass it, right? Where's the, uh, what's wrong with that, right? So why isn't a Health lot. Canada at uh, at fault too? 28, well, 28 significant incidents. That's right? why I don't trust the government blindly. Yeah. Trust but verify. Yes, all right, brother. All right. We'll, we'll put a pin in it right there. But, Mike, thank you so freaking much for uh, making the time. It is absolute pleasure to have uh, met you on Saturday in person finally and to have you on the show. It truly is an honor, and I mean that. Yeah, likewise, thank you so much for your show and what you're doing. Thanks, brother. You rock. <laughs> you rock. You're listening to Operation Tango Romeo, the trauma recovery podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. Now I've got a favor to ask you. And I know everybody asks for the same favor, but it's really, really important. If you can help, do your little bit by going to Apple Podcasts, leaving a rating and a comment. That would be awesome. Also, on your favorite podcast platform, whether that be Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, or whatever floats your boat and blows your hair back, please click follow and if there's an option there for rating please do so and this is why every time you click like leave a rating leave a comment what happens is that it makes it easier for other people to find this podcast the help that you can't find doesn't help at all so help other people find this so that they can help themselves thank you thank you thank you and as always share share like the sugar bear because sharing is caring